0: the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. It's Camille P. Fulton with Camille Unlimited, your favorite experience reviewer. And I'm hanging out with Ina Esco in the Verbally Effective Podcast. Stan Bell serving you well, pushing more power than a door cell. I'm hanging out with the double E, Ina Esco, on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Verbally Effective Podcast. I'm your host, Ina Esco, and you know this podcast is powered by We Are Memphis. This is the pod that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. Be sure that you are subscribed today on all streaming platforms And also the Ina Esco channel. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready, get ready, because (laughs) my girl is in the building. Now, she is an experienced organizer. She represents the queer community. She is a communication and digital media strategist, and she got a whole bunch of other stuff up under her, her titles. I'm talking about Shaida Jones. What's up? I call her Shay. What's up, Shay?
1: What's going on, Amy? You have amazing pronunciation and skills. That's, I do. Yes, you do, child. You know what? Okay, then. I credit, <laughs> I credit, so I credit that. Look, I credit <laughs> that
0: to Sister Angelina, my uh, fourth and fifth grade teacher at Our Mother of Mercy School. She okay. she worked she worked with me.
1: Okay,
0: so well, you know evidence.
1: Thank you. It's evidence. <laughs> I like, get that little soft tea on the end sometimes. Okay.
0: okay. Yes, yes. Now Shay, tell the good people what part of Memphis are you from?
1: I am from North Memphis, Smoky okay. City, New Chicago mm-hmm. area. uh Graduate of Northside High School. So, okay, you know, north, north, all the way. You like north, north for real. For real, for real. Like, what? what's the intersection of your
0: neighborhood? Where you go? So. In Smoky City.
1: Uh, now, when we talk about Smoky City, we talk about areas to Manassas. Got gotcha. The side of Manassas that's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, the cutoff from my era is right there mm-hmm. where Humes is. And so, the side of the street that Humes is on actually starts, you know, kind of. Village 7th Street, yeah, type folks over there. So, Smoky yes. City is very, very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, when I was growing up, uh, my grandma stays at the corner of uh, and we still have the property there at the corner of Valentine and Ayres. Wow, and my other grandmama is at the corner of Chelsea and Manassas, so right around the corner from each other. But I always thought it was always uh, Smoky City, I mm-hmm. mean, well, New Chicago. And then when I went to Northside, they was like, no. They had to get you right. Folks (laughs) folks that go to uh, New Chicago folks go to Manassas. Okay. And Northside folks, we call that Smoky City. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Yes. Readjust. Okay, so Mm -hmm. any siblings? Yes, I'm the oldest of, it's four of us. I have two sisters and a little brother. All of them old, though, we all old.
0: Yeah, all old. <laughs> Girl, <laughs> no,
1: no, just better, just better.
0: Tell me about growing up in North Memphis. How was your childhood?
1: I mean, my childhood was lit. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I love growing up in North Memphis. Um, we rode bikes everywhere. Uh, you know, we uh, was, you know, Halloween and trick-or-treating mm-hmm. and throwing eggs and, uh, you know, going to folks' houses and uh You know, hopscotch outside, double-dudge. You know, I had a a great childhood. And so my family all lived close, and I grew up Mm -hmm. with a big extended family. Like my cousins are like my sisters and brothers. And Mm -hmm. normally, if you know one of us, you know what I'm saying, one part of the family, you know at least five, six other from both sides. Like I said, my family grew up around the corner from each other. So, like all of my aunts and uncles know my other aunts and uncles. Mm -hmm. They all went, yeah. So they always, seven on my on my mama's side, eight on my dad's side. Yeah, you got big family. And so they all went to school together. Like oh, wow. they went to Manassas and stuff together they and so deep. Yeah. So and I mean that's <laughs> also why, you know, you know, I always feel protected. I've always felt at home because there's not a part of North Memphis that my family hasn't touched, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't I understand the boundaries, but I never had to have issue with the boundaries because gotcha. my family's from all over, you know, we spread mm-hmm. out. We still spread out in the north, so yes. and that's where I live today. That's where we uh I bought my house and settled mm-hmm. now, right off Jackson. So, mm-hmm. you know what, Shay? A big part of your life it is so much
0: uh, to do with a lot of activism in the city of Memphis. Do you have family members that were activists when you were growing up that you looked up to?
1: I mean, I think my uncle Spike is the closest thing. So, my, so uh, not only did I grow up in Uh, the North, but like my uncle was instrumental in switching my mom's half of the family, my aunts and uncles over converting them over to Islam. Wow. And so I grew up in between, um, you know, religions and my uncle uh, was instrumental in in converting. Like my mama say to this day, like if you was a Muslim in new Chicago, you came under my uncle. Right. And so like, uh, his the organizing in the community that happened as part of being um, in the Islamic community, I think is part of where I, the foundation of how I think about com, uh, community and how I think about us resourcing each other to meet each other's needs and the power of people, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think that ironically or coincidentally, that's also like his Muslim name was Shahid and my wow. name was Shahida. So.
0: Yeah, because that's a very disciplined uh, way of
1: life. It, it it can be. Yeah. You know, we have our we we, we have plenty of black backsliders. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> me being one. Don't we? <laughs> but yeah, there is it's very it is very ritualistic. So
0: Gotcha. Now what was the young Shay into growing up in North Memphis? What was you into?
1: Child, I always have been into reading lots of books, mm. um, talking a bunch of shit. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> As a child, that's probably asking a lot of questions. Um uh and lots of uh just fantasy type stuff. Like mm-hmm. I just daydream zone out a lot. So wow. So mm-hmm.
0: tell me about what happened after you graduated high school,
1: Shay. So after I graduated high school, I went to Austin P by mm-hmm. mistake. By mistake? <laughs> I did. What I went to Austin State University by mistake. So one, I always, always, always wanted to go to Spelman. Always, always, always. Me too. And so <laughs> I had gotten uh, tested. They, they put us in this pilot program the year that I started going to Northside to like follow the progress of folks based on their test scores. So they tested me on the ACT, and I had a really good score for Northside, and um, and everybody was like, "Oh my God, how did you get this score?" Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they actually had challenged it and made me take it again, and um. They challenged it. Yeah. That's an even longer story. But, so, then we went on a college tour, and I was like, I'm going to Spelman. And it was like, yeah, you definitely could get in with that score, but we ain't going to give you no money. And it just, like, the person was real. (laughs) Mm, mm, mm. And so I was like, oh, that was like my first experience with, I think, like, intra-racist classism. Because I was like, Mm. yeah, you, this probably not going to be for you, The person from Spelman told you. Yes. yes, The person, the college tour person. And so, um... And that was also the year so the other school that I wanted to go to was Stanford. And there was a I got some preliminary acceptance there, but that was the year that they went. Uh uh I can't remember what the the amendment was, but they decided to get rid of their uh affirmative action based scholarships, mm. which meant that then that was rescinded. Oh my and god. And so one day I was just sitting at the house and I was like, What am I gonna do, child? Uh <laughs> arguing with my daddy. And was like, I know I got to get up at this house. You see? Know right. I, was like, right. Like, I know I'm finna get up out of here. here. And some lady called and she was like, hey, we still got this scholarship over here to Austin P. Mm-hmm. I thought it was on Austin P. Highway, <laughs> child. I was like, y'all got some dorms? <laughs> and she was like, yes. And yes. I was like, I'm coming over there. And mm-hmm. a friend of mine who went to Northside with me, who was also going there for football, was now uh a, a, a amazing football coach over here in middle college, mm-hmm. said, uh, hey, when you riding down, Riding up the Ostroped. I was like, Uh oh, up the street? It's like, nah, fool. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just ended up there, child. And I was mm-hmm. <laughs> we just had to pack up, go to the little Walmart. We got there. I just showed up with my little uh uh bed in the bag and a book yes. backpack and was like, I I guess I'm finna. You bed. have been that thing. Yep. And that is where I uh learned that growing up in Memphis in the nineties, right? Racism wasn't what I know, I did not believe that racism was a thing, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I grew up, you know, Willie Harrington was the mayor. We had black mm-hmm. doctors and black lawyers, and it's a black ass town. It's black all the time. And so I day. had never been a minority mm-hmm. till you I got were... to Austin P. Oh, culture shock, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Let me see. It.
0: <laughs> How did was you handle this really... it? Sir? Oh, I did not
1: handle it well. I was in a lot of trouble at Austin really? P. I got. I was on. Probation a couple of times. I got my first charge up there, Ooh. fooling around. It was a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, but I made it on through. You made it through. I made it on through. What was
0: your major at Austin
1: Peay? Yeah, What was it? The, the, <laughs> I want to say it was it was like English and non-Western literature, and then uh, and then a, a concentration in technical communications. Okay, and so. I I don't know what I was doing at first. I wanted to be a teacher, and then they did a little student teaching. I was like, this,
0: mm-hmm.
1: no, that ain't that ain't what's gonna be for me. Mm-hmm. And so then I just picked whatever was necessary for me to graduate to get on a path. You out of made there. it through. Mm-hmm. Now, was there
0: any organizing that you took part in? in I Onsen think kind of.
1: I wouldn't have called it organizing then, but I definitely was. I remember we were trying to. Also, we was really, really segregated. Like, they were still having, like, pretty much black and white homecomings when I went to. is in what city? Clarksville. Clarksville, Tennessee. Yeah, they is. were still having William Bedford Forrest. Uh,
0: in the 90s? In the 90s, 90s. That was
1: like, we had, like, soul fest, uh, uh <laughs> And then it was, like, regular homecoming, which was white people homecoming. Mm. And so we're trying to run a black homecoming queen. And I remember the first article I wrote for the newspaper was, questioning uh our then student body president. I can't remember what her name was, but she was a white girl and I was like, girl, what have you done for me lately? Mm. And so we ran it down just about, you know, you know, what it mean, what it would mean to have black folks in those positions and a designation of school funding. Mm-hmm. But that was not well received. <laughs> it wasn't by by the faculty or student body? By both. Both. Okay. Both, both, both. They weren't I mean, used to this shape. They that wasn't. They they were not. But um so, and then I also kind of ended up in a counter sorority that we created ourselves okay. called The Bitches. The Bitches! <laughs> that was a counter sorority. Who was the ringleader, Shay? You was the ringleader. I'm not going to say nothing about no ringleader. I'm okay. not going to say nothing about no ringleader. <laughs> but it was a group of us, and I was involved. <laughs> Wait a minute. What was the mission of the bitches? Oh, we was bad bitches before it was cool. We was ahead of the time, boo. We was
0: ahead
1: of the time. OMG. Say,
0: say. Okay. I, I'm feeling it, though, bitch. <laughs> Yeah. Now, when you graduated from Austin P, what happened next?
1: Woo, child. So when I graduated from Austin P, I was like, oh, I'm finna go get me a big job. I'm finna go do all mm-hmm. this stuff. And I came on back home. And I got... And I was just getting jobs that was like ten dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh. Like I didn't think it would be like this. Ooh, this wasn't what a mm-hmm. what a big this is at. This
0: mm-hmm. so, what I
1: so I uh actually started working at a strip club. Okay. And, Which um, one? Ebony and Lace, Shay. I'm old. Okay, Ebony
0: and Lace? <laughs> and
1: what so were you doing at the strip club? I was Shay? Not stripping, because okay. I cannot dance. Okay. <laughs> but I was about to, uh on again, off again. Uh, uh, kind of suitable bartender, assistant to the girls, mm-hmm. uh, table. Uh, I mean, they ain't really had no services, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Bottle so, like, no bottle services, you just had to just make sure that folks mm-hmm. was getting they, you know, they two smirn off ices or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> But yeah, so I worked there until they had to like find a little drug bust. Okay, but you was making that money, at Ebony. I, and did. Life, so I, know you I did. did. I did. That was I was like the best waitress job I ever had. Okay. Dang, I mean, I still think something was not quite right about it. But mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Ebony and Lane. I mean, what not legal about? It. Let me just go and say that what not okay. legal about? It, I, I think, but yeah, it was it was a great opportunity to make. Money and meet people and see folks in a different setting than I had ever been uh, to. I realized I was super green before I got there. And then I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, that's correct. I I did not know. That's what that was. Okay. Another side of Memphis. Another side of Memphis. But then, you know what I'm saying, but the other thing is that. That side, like, all of the people that when I first walked in, I was like, oh, these folks is doing, oh, my God, they're doing these drugs and mm-hmm. they're such bad people. You know, I'm still in connection with a lot of them today. They, you mm-hmm. know, like, it humanized me and started to think about people differently. Mm-hmm. And right. so juxtaposing those two different things, like my experience going to college and then my experience you know, being othered in college uh, and having to think deep, more deeply about what race meant and then coming out of college expecting this kind of, uh, ascent into a different class that never happened mm-hmm. and then being forced to think about to, you know, be what many would consider low class and mm-hmm. developing the type of lo- lifelong connections, commitments and learning that I had there just yes. has shaped my life, uh, fundamentally it changed the way I think about people, mm-hmm. places, all, you know, all of it.
0: So after the big bus at Ebony and Lace, mm-hmm. what was next?
1: Yeah, what happened? It's so hazy. Did you get to, did you teach? So I did a little bit of substitutes teaching. Mm-hmm. Horribly. Mm-hmm. Baby, I was a hard, I was the substitute you wanted to have, baby. Come on in here and sit down. We're gonna watch this. I don't know what they told you. I'm just here for the day. You're gonna pack it. Oh my god. <laughs> You're gonna pack it. So uh that didn't do I didn't do that for very long. Mm-hmm. Um what happened next? Oh child, I got pregnant. That's got what pregnant. happened. I okay. turned around and got pregnant. And I was like, oh, I got to get a real job. Mm-hmm. I got to get a real job. And so I started working at a call center because you know that's where the where the money was in, yes, in Memphis. I the call, call center. Call baby, I'd have probably worked at every call center yeah. on this earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh start working at a call center. And then I had my my one and only child. Thank God, love her to death. But she grown now, huh? She is. She is twenty. She 20. turned twenty on the fifteenth of wow. July. And um, but yeah, I had her. And then I had to reshift and be like, okay, I gotta I gotta have some something more steady, more stable. Mm-hmm. I had a really tough pregnancy, and uh-huh. so um, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I gotta transition into motherhood. Yes. yes. And so then I just became like a a it felt, it feels like overnight I became like this good corporate citizen. Like i Mm -hmm. worked in corporate America, worked my way up. I became a a supervisor, then a manager. And I got my Six Sigma green belt certification. Mm -hmm. And then I went over to FedEx and I worked in sales and marketing there. And I was just like, okay. And, but there was this always, I was always feeling pulled that the work that I was doing was not the work that I was meant to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I was not very happy in the traditional, like, you know, we bought our first house together, I'm married, I got a, you know, a good husband and a car and, you know, all of these things that should make me happy, but I wasn't, wasn't. I wasn't happy. Um, And so my, our family went through a lot of death around this time too. And so some of my cousins who, you know, I had known all my life, had passed and mm. I just had to rethink about like what is my like when I hit my thirties it was like what 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 am I doing, right? What do is it that I need to be doing, what I want to be doing, what is it I want my life to look like? And for me I've always like it seems like every decade of my life I've become something different, something more that builds on the last one.
0: Reinvented so, yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I'm a totally different person now at forty plus than I was at thirty plus. Wow.
0: Now what what do you feel like was missing in your thirties?
1: I think uh I think one, a work with a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so much about what I thought about success was wrapped up in titles and money. Mm-hmm. And when I got titles and money, I That wasn't it. It wasn't it. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like it didn't ever satisfy me being who I felt called to to be. And I always think about it like this: um, in Islam, there's a—I a, don't know if you say ideology, but we call it kismet, right? Which is the belief, and we believe in free will, but we also believe that there's a, a destiny to each of us, a, a path destined for us. Mm-hmm. And there's just a way that you feel when you're walking in that destiny. And I just felt like I wasn't—I wasn't on the path that was meant for me. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, mm-hmm. um, what changed? So what changed? So a couple of things changed. Uh separated from my husband. I started working on DreamFest with Kat. <laughs> okay.
0: And what what year?
1: What what time
0: frame is this?
1: This is like two thousand eleven ish. Right. I remember. And then I started um and I just I guess uh I can't remember what the the I can't remember what the first thing was, but I started paying closer attention locally to the grassroots organizing that was happening. So that's when I first would have come in contact with Miss South Peace and Justice and some of the work that they were doing around organizing. And so I, you know, like signed up and gave like $5 or something and would get those little messages. And so, and then I had started to do more community-based work then, but it was more charity then than it was activism or organizing. Mm. And so those are the seeds that would lead would later lead me into becoming an organizer. So, wow.
0: Isn't that amazing? How we go through these different chapters in life like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about the organizing piece of your journey. Shay, um, where did it really begin? Where did you really find purpose?
1: Um, so for at this juncture in my life where I found, so it started organizing around the murder of Darius Stewart. Mm -hmm. And so I was, Sitting at the house, scrolling on Facebook, and I saw a letter and a, and a call to action. I was like, hey, this has happened to this young black man in Memphis, and if you're pulled to do something about it, meet us at this church, where they later turned out to be Pastor Earl's church, mm-hmm. Abyssinian. And that is where I met Earl, Pastor Earl. That's where I met... um. Uh, Dr. Andre Johnson, Reverend Dr. Pastor Earl, let me say this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> that's
1: where I met uh, Tammy Sawyer, mm-hmm. CJ, many of the folks that I organized, Keedron. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, the, that's well, I actually, I met Keedron through the music scene first, but this is where I meet him as an organizer, mm-hmm. uh, an activist. And so, and Jayani, and many folks, that was my first meeting of a lot of those folks. And so mm-hmm. that is where I, first actually for me activism is more about you, right? It's like mm-hmm. what you feel called to do and how you uh how you identify in your politics, but organizing is about we, it's mm-hmm. pulling folks together to do a thing. Okay. And so that's when I first get into like organizing people is around the death of Darius Stewart. And that and, and that was so much that happened there and I mean still a very hard thing for me to talk about, just watching what happened to the family, watching what happened to our community, watching um the exp- how the media can be in these mm-hmm. situations. Um, you know, a deeper understanding of uh the the unfettered power of uh police mm-hmm. and specifically the DA in this situation. Yeah. Um so it was it was like opened my eyes to so much. And that is where I was like, this, this is the start of something for me.
0: So that was the beginning of mm-hmm. the activism. And, you know, Shay, like, um, to be an activist in, in real time right now, talk to the people about this particular journey of activism. Um, you know, because when we think about activists, a lot of people go right to Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X., you a real day <laughs> activist in one of the blackest cities in the United States. Tell me about being an activist. Your walk. How is it different?
1: Ooh, child, I don't know that it is different. I think mm-hmm. the only the only major difference is that I just decide to be active, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a particular. Um, I mean, there's in there's skill in anything that we do, right? And one of the the best skills that I think you can have individually is great communication skills. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, organizing uh, does require that you have strong communication skills, but not in a way that, like the kind of pedantic way we're used to where we're talking about grammar and syntax and how somebody's saying something and whether it's first inaugural or inaugural, you know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. first annual or inaugural, right, but just how Mm -hmm. are you able to talk to folks and communicate ideas, theory, and Mm -hmm. um, empowerment. And so I think Um, the only thing that it takes really is for you to decide that it's time for you to act. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a regular person. I smoke, I drink, I do a bunch of, you know, shit that I probably shouldn't do. You know what Mm I'm saying? And, um, the, the, the major difference is just getting up and deciding that that's not going to stop me from fighting for what I think we all deserve. So, yes. And,
0: and you've been doing, uh, this for how long, Shay?
1: So I've been, uh, so I I would say that was 2015, mm-hmm. um and so seven years and so, uh, I've been active in the official Black Lives Matter chapter, mm-hmm. Memphis chapter since then and I we've done a lot of good work and I'm uh, very proud of the work that we've done here. So yes,
0: and you do a lot with um with with bail, bail bonds, right? Yes. Talk so, to us we, about that. so we so we
1: well, our biggest campaign is our uh, campaign to end money bail. And one of the major reasons that we've uh, chose that campaign is just because there's a perception that folks have that jail is just this place that houses all of these horrible criminals that done all these horrible things. And when we talk about jails and prisons, we're often talking about uh, we often already immediately go to uh, rapists and murderers. And the reality is that one, when it especially when it comes to rape, it's I think the percentages are like one to two percent of rapists are actually found guilty and serve time. Mm -hmm. And then when we talk about murder, we're still talking about like uh, two to three percentage points of total crime. And so the jails are really filled, end up being filled with people who can't afford to pay um bail jail specifically uh so the difference between jails and prison is jails are for folks who are awaiting trial right or have are, sm- are often serving small short sentences and in prisons are where folks who have been found guilty of a crime go so in 201 we're housing people there who have not been committed have not been found guilty of a crime and we spend millions of dollars to do that and many of them are there for uh, drug crimes or uh, nonviolent, or and I hate to say nonviolent because the way that the state defines violent isn't the way that we define violence, mm-hmm. and so uh, the categorization of what is considered violence is also not true, right? The most of the folks sitting there have not done harm or harmful behaviors; they are being accused of those things, and we what we have allowed is for our bail system to become our safety net mm-hmm. versus our trial system. And so in Memphis where we have uh the majority of folks, I wanna say the average amount of income in Memphis for a four person family is like right at forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, right? So that's for four people. So that means that if you go to jail and have to pay a five hundred dollar bond, yeah, that's a big um deal. like that's a big deal for that family. That's a big deal. One or two days we just we just had someone that wasn't supposed to be in jail at all that was held for five days. Mm. Um, who lost their job while they were in there. So two or three days in jail, 24 hours in jail can have, you know, far-ranging effects. And that part of the the cycle that we see in Memphis, right, is that you have mm-hmm. people accused. criminalization is high. We criminalize everything. We think mm-hmm. the answer to everything is to put folks in jail. Um, and it's not. It doesn't solve the problem and, in fact, creates more of the problems we see because once there have been put into that system once they are in that bail situation where they have to borrow, you know, it's like a, it's, it's how we would think about, um, uh, what is the thing when you get the checks, they you $200, they give you 250 you got to go back. Mm-hmm. What is it? Oh,
0: kind of? um, the check, checking the cash, checking the cash yeah. type
1: stuff, right? Like yeah. it's that revolving door of like, yeah. you, you tend to only get to like, you know, it's, it's predatory in their way. It and is. so, we're trying to get us to a point where we start thinking about what is justice and what is fair and what is right for folks who are supposed to have a system where they're innocent until proven guilty. And right now our system automatically condemns folks, specifically black and brown folks, specifically poor folks to lives in in prison or attached to that prison system, starting with the bail bond. And so we're trying to interrupt that at least as the start of us thinking about, what are different ways we can think about actually achieving and lowering crime and make our neighborhoods safer. So. Yeah. And,
0: and that's the inner workings of the Shelby County District Attorney Office.
1: And today,
0: <laughs> the verbally effective audience is August 4th. Today is the day that Tennessee votes, the last day. And we don't know who the district attorney is yet, but currently it's Amy Weirich,
1: Steve Mulroy. What are your thoughts on Steve? You'd rather Steve than Amy? I would rather Steve than Amy. Okay. I would rather Steve than Amy. I, though, feel like I would have, I would have rather it been one of the black women that was Mm -hmm. running, not just because they were black women. Though I want to just say there ain't nothing wrong with voting for folks because everybody don't know, Half the people on the ballot and we often get shamed, allow ourselves to be shamed for the same behaviors that everybody is doing. Yeah. But um and so I think if if, if you don't have anything else to go and say, Well, the thing I'm gonna do is vote for a black woman, I don't think it's any different mm-hmm. from somebody saying, Well, the thing I'm gonna do is vote Republican, or the thing I'm gonna do is gonna yeah. vote, you know, so I don't think there's actually anything wrong with that, but um I would have preferred them to, but definitely I think Amy just is has taken their position and wielded their power in a way that has brought way more harm than good. And and you don't have to guess about it because if you go in the hoods, Mm -hmm. more of them know her name. They know that's who signed the jacket, who doubled, you know, who stacked Mm -hmm. those charges, who, you know. And so there's just, there's also just an inconsistency in the way that justice has been levied under her. And so,
0: like you said, predatory,
1: predatory.
0: So, wow. I wonder if Steve would, you know, we like I said, we don't know who who won at this point, but, you know, I wonder what will really change with Steve. Now, but, we, you know, we know what we got with Amy, but... But I'm
1: going to say this now, and now we did talk to all of the candidates, and while I would have definitely preferred, and I still think, you know, it's a little bit shaky that he came in into the race when he did Girl. with the two black women. I will say that in my converse, direct conversation with, uh, with him, one of the things I do know is that he does... He has done a lot of work around um, racial equity. I do know that he has planned and has been on the record for uh, noting many changes, specifically in support of changes around our current bail system, Mm -hmm. in support of changes about the way that we currently charge. Uh, folks in reviewing cases um in transparency of the office and so while i don't think that we're going to look up tomorrow and going to be like oh my god this is this amazing great work i do think that we will see more consistency and transparency and i think that's the start of allowing people to be more aware of what this position can actually do and the powers tied to that position because we don't learn that stuff in school right you like and when i First, heard the first time I knew what a DA did in real life was around the case of mm-hmm. Darius Stewart, right? Mm-hmm. Around the case of Mike Brown. Before yeah. that, the only people that I knew, or anything I knew, was what I saw on TV. Yeah. And that's just, that's not accurate at all. That's propaganda. Yeah. So, gotcha. <laughs> and so I think this will be steps into the direction of getting folks more involved in what it looks like mm-hmm. and how their position can be moved forward.
0: Well, one thing I do know, if Steve wins, we gonna hold him accountable, aren't we? Yes, and I do believe that he
1: can. He is he is able to be held accountable. Yeah, in a way I that feel Amy like has that not.
0: Too. I feel like that. Amy seems very standoffish. And well, we know her base. Yeah,
1: you see what I'm saying. So yeah. when so the one thing we know about Steve is that we would have been part of their base that got him in, and that's the the other thing about uh strategy of voting. It's not always about who we think is going to do most of the folks who have been in politics for years are going to be political. Right. Mm -hmm. But the thing that they can't get around is that they have to be accountable to a base of folks because they still Mm -hmm. need the votes to get there. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of times, especially like when we think about the president, we're talking about who can be moved based on the votes that we have power over that we control. And so I think that one, he's accountable to a democratic base. He's accountable to, which is mostly black folks in Memphis. Mm -hmm. So he has to be responsive to their base. We just have to be able to push those issues collectively. But he's not going to get votes from anywhere else, so he got to respond to that.
0: That's true. Now, when are you running for office? Never,
1: child. Never in life. (laughs) You feel that way for real? Oh, yes, child. Never, never, never. My work is definitely outside of the systems. I actually hate our current two-party system. And I (laughs) And I feel like we need to turn that shit down and start over. But it's the system that we have. But yeah, I I, I don't envision this is the uh uh the best form of government for us currently. So Yeah, but this is what we got. This was a hand
0: got. The, 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 mm. the, the 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 what do you call it? The um hand,
1: hand, we hand that we've been dealt. But yes. we can also undeal them hands. I just want us to know that like yes. we can put our groups pushing for constitutional mm. conventions and we should be part of that that number because yes. we need to rethink some of this stuff.
0: you you for real because like uh, what you were talking about uh, with some of the people that are in jail um, for example Brittany Griner Mm -hmm. today they announced that she received nine years in Russia for a little cannabis pen, weed pen what is going on? Now I know in different countries there are different laws but do you think Biden has done what he needed to do to be more effective with this whole situation or is it really out of his hands?
1: I don't know yeah. I actually like this is one of those things where it's like I've been trying to better understand what what
0: can he really do what can
1: he do like what can our country do what I, I mean I think at the very least he could be more vocal about it mm-hmm. you know um, but then I, I that's what I feel but I also I'm like you know she's currently being held prisoner and so does that make it that much harder to be to negotiate and so mm-hmm. it's one of those situations where it's like I don't know what the precedent is about this. I don't know what, <laughs> what has happened. I know that she don't need to be there for nine years. Yeah, for and I know that. we need to try to figure it out to get her out. But yeah. as far as what actually Biden can do about that, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know. Do
0: you think that Brittany being a black queer woman, that that's affecting what's going on today?
1: I think it definitely affects public perception. Um I think her being a black queer woman has a lot to do with why she was, why she was over there. Right. I think, you know, the disparities in uh, uh, sports and the disparities in pay, you know, that's part of like economic exploitation of, of bodies. Um, so I think that definitely is part of the core, why she's there. As far as to why she's not out, I, you know, I would assume Russia is just as racist as everybody else. So I'm, I'm yeah. assuming they want ec- ecstatic, you know what I'm saying they're not ecstatic yeah. about her. You know they yeah. weren't like, oh my god, this great hero of our sports. Right. You know I don't I don't think that. Yeah. So I, don't, I think, so I think that at the very least, it would at least allow them to see her more as a pawn than anything else, yeah. and so and make her more exploitable in that way.
0: Wow. Now you know I know we press for time, Shay, but um, you know other than you being involved in activism in the Memphis community. You have been managing the career of artist Type T for years, and um, I kind of want you to talk to the people about how how that journey has been (laughs) with Type T, because you have really done some great things for his career, and, you know, very creative, you know. Yeah, I How mean, outcomes.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, one, it's definitely been a journey. Tyke is my brother, and we argue and fight like brother and sister uh, mm-hmm. all What's the time. Up, Tyke? Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's one of, it's again, uh, just a learning journey. Like, my dad was a musician, mm. and uh, which is part of why, like, music, I think, is, arts are integral to uh, activism and organizing. And so, you know, you can't, I don't think that you can do one without the other. But with Tyke, you know, I kind of just fell up on it. I was working at FedEx, and uh, I was assigned to Tyke. Uh, I, tyke was referred to me through a family member, and then – uh, he got the job and then I became his mentor. I didn't want to be. I was just trying to go to work and go home. So I was I'm not. And, it 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 it. and so some one day we got to talking about him doing music and I was like, I'm gonna connect you to some folks. And then the folks that I kept trying to connect him to was pretty much like, We don't know you. <laughs> you right? Like and so I, just, I kept feeling guilty about like the fact that I was like, Memphis is this great spot, and all this independent music and all these folks gonna support you, and I was sending them mm-hmm. places, and that was not what was happening. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Well. Let me just get out here and see. And so we were in. We just kind of started going places together. And I would be just the one person in the crowd going when he would say, "Put your hands up." Now it's better to you. see. I would be just the only person in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: Lord, I can see Ty on the stage tell you, "Put your hands up right now," because Ty's gonna bring that
1: energy. He is, but and so we've definitely been in some of the the hoodest hood, hood junts. Mm-hmm.
0: That's what on you every do, showcase and what so
1: you do you know we've learned a lot about the industry we've learned a lot about the um and there's a lot of like I said there's a lot of uh gender-based issues there's a lot of exploitation in the industry like it is the standard to attempt to take from and exploit the artists versus to help and to move forward like and it's it's the standard and so then on top of that there's also a stigma around hip-hop and rap where folks don't take their artistry. Seriously, it actually seems to hold a grudge against uh, the the hold that hip-hop has on the world. And so the backlash that you see is that oftentimes they get very little credit for anything other than destroying um, uh, young minds. Like when you think about hip-hop, it's always about all of the things that, um, you know, trap music, trap rap, mm-hmm. trap this, you know, shoot them up, kill them up, this, right, you know. And it's very little about, you know. Conscious. Does it? Yeah. Well, not even a conscious, but just what yeah. an art, what, what telling of a story does, right? Yeah. Like, it's storytelling. Yeah. And we watch the storytelling in all other aspects, but we don't give the artist the ability to be more than their stories. Mm-hmm. And in hip-hop, you know, if you go against the grain and not do that, you're going to be ostracized. If you do it, you're going to be ostracized. You know, it, it doesn't matter. You're not going to see uh, independent hip-hop folks at nice venues in Memphis, and that's a problem. Right. Especially considering how much of our the reason people will travel, the reason people know Memphis, how much of our sound is everywhere else. We don't see it and we don't have those opportunities here. So it's been a struggle.
0: You know, I'm glad you've been creating opportunities along with your wife, Kat, with Dreamfest. Uh, How many years now?
1: Ten, ten. Ten years. years. Ten years. Ten, wow. ten Just had years. one. I we went did. on a Sunday. We did.
0: And given, you know, all the talent here in Memphis an opportunity to get up there and do their thing. Yes,
1: yeah, sure. That's a lot.
0: It's a lot. It's
1: a See, lot. See, I know you know
0: all about <laughs> the inner workings of that business, but um you know, I just wanna uh salute you for the amazing work that you've been doing in the community. Cause your name speaks volumes in the city <laughs> of Memphis. Although you say you're not running for office. Not but, uh, Hey, we need somebody that's doing the groundwork though. We need somebody out here organizing that. Well, that's you
1: what said. I'm that's what I'm doing. Somebody gotta for. do that. That's what my path is. That's what I'm called to do. Yes, so
0: yes, that purpose. Right? Yes, that's my purpose. Wow. Well, what you got coming up, Shay?
1: Um, so we promoting Tyke's new album, so, you know, you can follow him on social media and, uh, on Spotify, where, so it's called written by Tyke T, so he did, wrote, um, he wrote, uh, he's always wanted to be an R&B singer, but he can't sing, so this album he wrote and had other folks sing on the album, so I it's thought really... you was
0: going to say he was doing some auto-tune, yeah, yeah you got
1: a little bit on there, I couldn't get him away hey, from a little bit, so it's a little touch of it sounded. on there, but it's a good, it's a dope album, and so one of the okay. songs that we got, we're going to release a video soon, for that, um, we are already planning for Dream Fest 2023. Mm-hmm. We picked a date. It'll be back at the Levishell next year That's a nice um, spot and free. And so uh, we'll be, y'all will be seeing that soon. And then Activist wise we're working on some stuff locally um, that y'all will see more about around the bail reforms. Um, transformative justice in our school systems, like really mm. trying to think about the ways that we educate ourselves around conflict, around social media usage, just all of that, so we're doing a lot of training and um, and trying to expand folks' understanding of what that is. We think about justice, and I think the last thing that I definitely want to mention is um, if you were there on the last day, I don't know if you stayed to the end, but the Freedom Singers, yes, yes, the Freedom yes. Singers is my favorite the favorite choir. The community choir. So the Freedom Singers is a uh, community choir concept, birthed out of the uh, birthed out of a need to respond to the violence that's happening. And so it's a combination of support between three organizations, Center for Transforming Communities, Official Black Lives Matter Memphis, and Memphis Artists for Change. And, um, you know, we do rapid response. We have sung at folks' funerals. We can do visuals. Um, it's community. We target community members. You know, they get paid a fellow. We do polit- uh, They get paid a stipend. We do political study together. And we use music as an opportunity, a way to connect, and a way to show folks that, like, There's always still hope, even in our darkest times. And so, like, it it. is my... Baby, it's I coming know. to an end. If y'all, we we're gonna put together a big event um, I believe in September to close out the fellowship so folks can come see it. We wanted to be downtown near the river so it can have healing and calm mm-hmm. aspect, but they're gonna be singing, singing. They're gonna so. be
0: singing. I remember when you told me you
1: was getting your choir together. <laughs> I, I told God. you I was gonna do it. It might take time, but I'm gonna do it now. <laughs> if I say it, it, I'm gonna do it.
0: You did it. How can everybody follow you on social Ooh, media? Well, they cannot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They cannot, yep, but they can follow type tea, they can follow the official black lives right. matter Memphis chapter. But I do try to keep my social media and stuff to myself keep because baby, it be t- them, 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 <laughs> I know. it's a lot of folks with a lot of comments that anti-activists, anti-black lives matter you. comments. And so I just I try to keep you. it down. So. You know, you
0: the first guest that, that said that, <laughs> but I understand why. Yeah. I understand why. Hey guys, make sure you know, although you can't follow her on social media, you're going to see her out in these Memphis streets organizing and keeping the community together. And I'm sure I'll update them on um, the event that you were talking about with the community choir. Yes, yes, Coming yes, up I'll very soon. Yes. And Dream Fest, they already planned it for 2023. You got to check that out. Huge event in the city with plenty of talent here in Memphis. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the Verbally Effective Podcast powered by We Are Memphis. Big shout outs to my guest, Shahida Jones in the building. Thank you guys so much for tuning in.